Amen. Amen. Wow. Waiting here for you. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful proclamation that we can make together as a congregation. And it, it just, as I was standing over there just a second ago, it made me think of the people in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. You know, Jesus had just been risen from the dead. And um, he came and he revealed himself to many of his apostles and many of his disciples. Um, and then he ascended into heaven. And his disciples were brokenhearted when he died. And they were fearful of what would come of them because of it. And so they went into hiding. And then Jesus came back. And imagine just the excitement of someone they thought was lost forever. And then he says, now I'm going to go. But I'm going to leave someone else with you. Another. The Holy Spirit. So I want you to go. And I want you to sit. And I want you to wait for the Spirit. Don't do anything. But when he comes, you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But he said, wait. Wait. Is that hard to do sometimes? <laughs> Just wait. Right? That's hard for me. All right? I mean, I can talk fast. All right? I'm serious. Like, I can go in like 200... 200, 300 words per minute, gusts of about six. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it gets crazy sometimes. And I want you to know, to, I'm going to try and take a step back and breathe every once in a while between my talking. But I can get excited sometimes, you know? It's because the Spirit is, like, powerful. And the most amazing thing that happened in Acts chapter 2 was when the Spirit did come and Pentecost happened. And it was like, we saw what happens when the Spirit shows up. All right. It wasn't just about the tongues of flames. That was cool. And it wasn't just about the fact that people from all over the country were, were coming to Jerusalem at that very moment so that God's word from the very beginning could disseminate throughout all the nations and people could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The, the beauty was this. Jesus, God with them, was there in the spirit. And so that spirit is the same thing we have today. Carry around. It says, those who would know me, I've given my spirit. And... That's my hope and prayer for each one of us today, is that we would understand God's spirit in maybe a new way. We're going to hit, tackle kind of a fun subject today. Um, very briefly, I'm going to try and hit this, this concept of tongues and prophecy, all right? Jason is out of town. He's on a beach somewhere, relaxing, and he's like, ha-ha, Cam, get it. You know, so, so here we go. I'm going to give it a shot, you know what I'm saying? So mercy, you know, anyways, but... It is, it is a wild subject I think a lot of us maybe struggle with um, or at least have heard about or have definitely seen done improperly, perhaps. Um, maybe you've watched uh, you know, a, a movie or you've seen it on television and you've seen prophecy and how people prophesy, you know, like all these different things. And, and, and they you know, say, if, if you buy this prayer cloth that I prophesy, if you would just buy it for $3.95, you know, two for six or whatever, like, then I prophesy, you know, blessing over you or um, an, another form of, of the prayers in tongues. You see people just going crazy, right? Just, just tongues, ah, oh, and just like praying in the spirit. No one knows what's going on. And it's chaos. And, and I'm going to submit to you today that because of these kind of shows, I'm going to call them, um, of, of these different giftings, there is now either an understanding or expectation that they're supposed to be that way. Or there's just a disregard or a disenchantment or a disrespect for those giftings or whatever because we're scared of them. And they're just kind of weird, let's be honest. 
And I don't want to submit either of those arguments to a state. I would love for us to look through the, the lens of God's word very briefly just to, to see what, what are these about and how can we be edified in this? Because it is a piece of God's word. It is something that God says he does. And so we're going to get there in just a second. So you guys can go fasten your seatbelt. It's going to get crazy. All right, Jason's out of town, so I can do whatever I want. No, I'm kidding. All right, so but just, just get ready for that. But if you would like, go ahead and flip open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And before we get there, um, I just want to give us kind of a quick synopsis of where we've been and where we're going today. You know, Jason has been walking through 1 Corinthians now for several weeks. And last week he preached on chapter 12. He introduced spiritual gifts. Okay. If you have some more questions you didn't get to hear that sermon, please go check it out. It's on our website. You can, you can also check out the spiritual gift test that we have on there as well. You look at articles and papers, I think it is the link um, you go to, um, resources, articles, papers, and you can take one. And I did mine a couple days ago, and um, it's, it's edifying. You, know? you, don't, you take it with a grain of salt. Um, because the reality is, is you're the one answering the questions about yourself. So we do encourage you to, to bring along a spouse or a friend or someone who can be trustworthy to look over your answers and say, actually, man, you're awful at listening. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just so you can be honest, because we typically score ourselves a little bit better, right? And, and that can be helpful and edifying for you. But I, check those out. But Jason's been talking through this conversation about spiritual gifts, what they are, what they aren't. And we learned really last, last time that everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ has a spiritual gift. Whether or not you use it, that's questionable, right? Just because you have one doesn't mean you use it. And unfortunately, that can create a lot of confusion in a church because people start opting to do things that they want to do rather than what God wants them to do and has equipped them to do. Um, I've found in my own life that honestly, a lot of times, I believe God is gifting me in places where I'm looking at the church and I say, that's wrong. That's annoying. That is messed up. The stuff that really ticks me off might just be where God's gifting me to go in and get my hands dirty. So warning to everyone here, look for that. That's how entrepreneurs are made, right? You look for what's broke, and then you figure out a way. I believe that God gives us many times in order, gives us eyes to see things that no one else would see, in order that we can show his glory in those places. And so it makes us step back and ask the hard questions of, what am I doing this for? Because ultimately, as Paul has said already, this is about the edification of the church, and God has a specific order in a way that we're supposed to be pursuing these things. And so it's very interesting, though, because when we start looking at this conversation of spiritual gifts, what we can all, sometimes do, you take, start taking spiritual gifts tests, and you just, it can become very organizational, very lifeless, very just like it's a corporation. You know, we don't want Solid Rock to become a corporation. That's not what, we're not here to, to raise the bottom line. We're not, we're here to show and that's beautiful, birds. And, and it, like, we, we, are, we are here. I'm sorry. If that didn't, anyways, all right. So, but we, we are here, guys, to show God's glory to the world. And the best way we can do that is to use his gifts the way he wants us to. And so for us to step back and ask ourselves, okay, what would it look like to take these gifts and use them for his glory. Well, Paul says something else beautiful in chapter 13. And Jason only skimmed this, and I encourage you to go back and peek through the rest of those verses in chapter 13 where he talks about love. He said, there's a better way to use these gifts, guys. Like, you could just go and administrate, teach, 
I'll, I'll show mercy, you know, like, here's food. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we, we, we could do these things. But, but Paul's like, no, 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 you understand. It's not just about some program. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit being manifest in the lives of those in the church and outside that his glory might be shown throughout the entire world. Because God is huge. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, crazy things happen. It might be tongues. It might be prophecy. But you know what it might be? It might be a hard heart that is cracked the very first time. And they start loving their kids the right way. They call their parent and say, I'm sorry. Life change happens. And that's our prayer. And Paul gets that, man. This isn't just some sort of program we want to throw out for you guys. Welcome Sunday morning. Check it off your list. Jesus didn't die for that. He says, guys, this is about love. There's such a better way. There's a better way. And so that's how we begin this text. If you look in the very first verse of this text, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That word pursue love I, it makes me step back for a second and ask a hard question. What do I pursue? I pursue a lot of things. I think some people are pursuing love, but they're not pursuing that love might lead them. Because another translation would say, follow love. It's not what is leading me in the sense of like, this is why I do what I do. But it's what, it's all I desire. I'm not walking to others in love. I'm just running around after love. And we see this all throughout our culture. I just want to be loved, but it's a perverted version of love. Teenagers, we know what we're talking about, right? And, and, and so the, the problem is, is that we have to first identify what is this love? And that's where we have to return to chapter 13. And we need to ask ourselves, what is this? It is what's patient, kind, does not boast, does not envy. Is, I mean, Let's look back at those things and let's start testing, is this really love? But it also makes me question this as well, is in my pursuits, what is success in life really? You know, when people look at you, they're going to be asking, what is he doing? What is his goal? What, what is his purpose? What is he pursuing? And our, our time, our checkbooks, all of this is going to tell a story to people who are watching us. And they're going to say, this is what so-and-so is about. And so I would encourage you, just a simple thing. Ask your kids. Ask your spouse when you leave here, what do you think I'm pursuing? That's a hard question. Okay? Um, but I think it's worth asking. Ask them this. Do you think love defines something that I would be pursuing? Because this is something that your coworkers aren't going to expect, okay? Like, you can show this without having to just be in a church utilizing spiritual gifts in the kids' ministry. This can happen tomorrow at work when you get there. This can happen in your home. This can happen every... 
What does it look like for me to pursue love above all things? It doesn't mean you put the work away. It just changes maybe the way you pursue the work. You pursue the people at work. What you say, what you don't say. Pursue love. And then it says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, we see a little bit later on in verse 12, it says, So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church or edifying the church. Back to verse 1, what, what we see there is these are people that are already pursuing the spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to have people on different planes here this morning where some people have never even heard of spiritual gifts. You're like, what? <laughs> like, spiritual gifts? Jesus? You know, like, like what is it? And, and the thing is, is, is we need to know what those are. So please, go back through chapter 12. I wish I could go over all of it today, but really 12, 13, and 14 kind of come in one big thing, and Jason gave me tongues and prophecy. Thank you, Jason. And so, so here's, here's the deal. For, for you guys, I, take some time to, to take that inventory of those spiritual gifts, because he's assuming here that you are pursuing them, that you are striving after them. And I think it's a little presumptive of me to say that. It's not always on my mind. Lord, am I operating within my spiritual gifts? Do I even think about them? Right? But forget the love part. Like, but now that we are, he said, striving after them already, he says now, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so now what we're seeing here, and we're going to get in a second about talking about prophecy and telling just for a second, but... In terms of prophecy versus tongues, he's saying earnestly prophesy above all of them. Now what he's just done is he says, it's not just about your pursuits, it's about your priorities. One guy said it this way, he says, don't prioritize your schedule, schedule your priorities. Okay? I love little word phrases like that. I know for a while you're like, well, oh. You know what I mean? Like, and so when I first read it the first, I was like, I started writing down my entire schedule. I'm like, don't need to do that. Don't need to do that. Woo! Priorities. No, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is we need to be very focused on what we do and what we put first in our lives. First things first. And let the rest fall in line. Because the funny thing about priorities is that, honestly, in life, some things are priorities for all of us, whether you acknowledge them or not. Okay. The important things are important whether you acknowledge them or not. And so if you let your family fall apart, that's on you. Okay? Like we need to put first things first. Golf up there. <laughs> but not at the top. You know what I'm saying? Like 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 for me, I love to work out. I love to go for a run. Not at the top. Like, we need to get our priorities in line. And Paul's making a very specific statement here that, hey, guys, I want to tell you this so that it doesn't come one day where you're sitting in a hospital bed and someone has this hard word for you that you have terminal whatever, and they say you need to go and get what? Your thing's in order. I don't want us to wait till that day, and neither does Paul. Because all of us have something in our lives that's not in order. And, and we need to step back and ask God, what would you prioritize for me? What really matters in the long term? 
And so we're going to walk through this text in just a second after I kind of walk through some of this prayer prophecy stuff and, and, and see kind of what Paul's saying is really important and then end with some application. But to start things off, um, I just want to speak briefly on tongues and prophecy. So, um, you know, we'll start with prophecy. Uh, that sounds fun. If you guys have your, your handout on the inside, you'll see the sermon notes and you can kind of follow along. Um, and as you'll see in the first one, I was saying the believer's pursuits and priorities in corporate worship radically affect our ability to edify the church. Now, a clear understanding, though, of spiritual gifts, and specifically regarding prophecy and tongue, enables the believer to engage in a better form of worship. And what I'm saying there in a better form of worship is this, is that for us, there are ways that we can worship in the church that are actually not bad, but they aren't edifying. And in our lives, it kind of goes the same thing. There's some things that aren't necessarily bad, but are they edifying? And so this is what Paul is instructing them towards is, hey, guys, here's the, it's not that you guys are wrong, that you want to speak in tongues, and that you want to, but there's, there's a right way to do it, and there's a right place to do it in order that's edifying for everyone. And so we're going to get there. But go jumping in here now. Um, prophecy, what is it? Uh, prophecy is the proclamation of God-given words that edify, encourage, and comfort others. Hear that? Edify, encourage, and comfort others. And we see this as you read through chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, I'm sorry, 14, verse 1 and 2. It says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but who? To God. For one, no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Three words there. Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation, you could also change out for edifying, encouragement, and this idea of comfort. And so that's the purpose of prophecy. That's what prophecy is supposed to be about, okay? But there's been a trend of a transition from Old Testament to New Testament where prophecy is a little bit, I'll say this word, looser in the New Testament than it was in the Old Testament. Because if you ever read through the prophets in the Old Testament, you'll see that thus saith the word of the Lord, repent or be destroyed. That's pretty much the gist of the prophets, right? Over and over and over and over again. And so the word of the Lord comes, and there's not really a testing of that word because it's God's word to the prophet, to the people. And the proof's in the pudding because if they don't, typically they're destroyed, right? And so we know back from Deuteronomy that it, it, the one way you can prove whether or not prophecy is legit or not is whether or not it comes to fruition. Well, in God's word, we saw every prophet that spoke, found prophecy that came to fruition, okay, in one way or another. Well, in the New Testament, it's a little different. So in the New Testament now, what we don't see is we don't see prophets so much being given words of the Lord that are anything new than you would find in Scripture, standing up on a podium and saying, thus saith the word of the Lord, and then prophesying future whatever to us. It looks a little different. And, and, and what it looks like is now we have utterances or speakings of God's word to others or words that are in line with God's word, okay? So it could look like this morning 
I'm not necessarily preaching the exact word of God, text verse by verse, but God, for some reason, I didn't write it down before. It's not in my notes over there, but God just encourages me to say, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you could be doing this and maybe, maybe you, you work on the, the, the 43rd floor of whatever building downtown and, and man, maybe the people in there need to hear something like that. And then someone comes up to me after and says, man, you were looking at me when you said that. I work in the 43rd floor upstairs downtown and I need to evangelize. And, I, and what I want to say to that person is this. Yes, you must. No, that's not what I want to say to that person. What I want to remind myself is this. Spiritual gifts are spiritual gifts. And I want to say, that's a gift from the Lord. I hope that edifies you. Take it as such and use it for his glory. That's the power of prophecy in the present day. But we do know that it has to be tested in a couple different ways. First of all, it has to be tested by the actual prophet's walk. Um, too often you'll research people who are doing prophecy in public settings right now, and you'll find out their walk's pretty messed up. <laughs> okay? There's some messed up money stuff going on behind the scenes. I think we need to examine the voice of the people speaking. Okay? We need to understand where these people are coming from. And we're told to do that because we're told two different things. In Deuteronomy, we're told that this is Deuteronomy 13. We're told that God actually tests his people by giving them false prophets to see if they'll follow them. Do you know that God does that? He'll put people in your lives at school who walk up to you and tell you, this is what you should be doing with your life. This is what matters. This is what makes you cool. This is what makes you worth something. Just to see how you'll respond Thank you, Jesus. Boom. All right. No, but no, but sometimes, sometimes God will do that. And so what does that mean for us? That means we need to know God's word so we can understand what is a spirit of light and what is we, we need to know who's Jesus and who's not. But also, more than just other, we're also told in um, uh, Matthew 7, 15 through that actually. Wolves will come in sheep's clothing. So not only will they speak words and be given by God potentially to test us in our walk to see how, you know, whether or not we'll be faithful to God, but also to, to deceive us straight up. Did you know that Satan is called an angel of light? And nowhere are God's angels called angels of light. But God is what? Light. Okay? Satan's going to tempt you in the way that you're going to listen. He's going to find whatever it is that works on you, and he's going to press it. He's going to push it until you give him a foothold, and then he can climb that thing all the way to the top and plant his flag, and it's over, right? We need to be so careful about the words we let come into our heads because words matter. With a couple words, God created the entire world, Okay? We're told in James it's like a rudder of a ship. We're told it's like a fire that can burn. They're powerful. we got to be so careful that when we speak them, we're very careful in the way we use them, 
what we're saying and at their test. And so first of all, we need to look at their walk, but we also need to look at the word. First of all, the incarnate word of Jesus Christ. We need to look and see as 1 John chapter 4, let's see, 4, there's a lot of pastors here. 1 John chapter 4 would say, and if you'd like to write that down, I encourage in your notes, 4 verses 1 through 3, what we read about is that if, if someone is prophesying something that would ever demean the person of Jesus Christ, we need to disregard it. So much so that he calls them the Antichrist. You don't need to drop that on your friend, you know, like, Antichrist. You know, like, don't do that to your teacher, you know what I'm saying? Like, because your teachers might say some stuff that isn't legit, okay? I mean, especially science teachers. There's a big push right now for not Christian things, okay? And so evolution and other things like that, it's just not healthy teaching that's not legit. And so... Don't just drop anti, but know what's true and what's not. And you need to test it against the person of Jesus Christ. You need to ask yourself, is this something that's raising up the name of Jesus Christ or not? Let me throw one in here for those of you who are in dating relationships or are pursuing someone. Um, a real quick test is to find how fast and how comfortable someone is willing to talk about Jesus in a public setting. If the person that you are pursuing won't bring up the name of Christ, won't let you pray, is like weirded out by even conversating about it in private, I'm sorry, probably not the person for you. And if you want me to do premarital counseling, that's where I'm going to start. Same with Jason. Same with Brian. I'm sorry because it's the foundation. We already learned that. Back in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, if you build any foundation other than the person of Jesus Christ, it's going to show itself for what it is. And so in other words, it's not eternal. You're building it on hay and sticks, and it's going to burn up. So how can I love you if I were to give you counsel? Yeah, you know what? They seem cool. No. How does it match up against the person of Jesus Christ? But secondly, how does it match up with his word? First Timothy, um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for correcting and teaching, rebuking and training in righteousness so the man of God can be equipped for what he's called us to. And so every word is God-breathed and it's useful. Here's the deal. We don't get to pick God's word just like we don't get to pick the gifts in the way we use them, okay? So we need to be very weary to test whatever is said against the word of God. And then lastly, we need to have witnesses, and we're gonna get there in a second, but you do have to have a specific order and structure, especially in the church body, as Paul's really talking about in 1 Corinthians 14, He's talking about the gathering of the church. There needs to be a certain way of order that happens. So moving off of that, I hope that helps everybody a little bit with this um, with this issue. Um, but then uh, secondly, uh, let's see here, we've, we've hit prophecy, we're going to hit some tongues just a little bit. But just knowing what tongues are, I just want to talk about it this way. Um, tongues are mysterious utterances in the Spirit that if interpreted can provide revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or a word of instruction. And we see that in verse 2 and verse 6 of chapter 14. Of chapter 14. So verse 2 says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks to men, but it's not, not to men, but to God. For one, for no one understands him, but utters mysteries in the Spirit. In verse 6, if you jump down, it says, 
Um, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And so we see that they're edifying. They can be edifying, but for the individual, it's for them to speak to God. And it speaks of it as in prayer, but also in singing. And if, that's, if you jump to uh, verse 14, you'll see that it says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Okay? And if you go to other translations, you see prayers and singing. And so tongues can can find themselves manifested in both prayer languages, like you're probably more familiar with, but maybe someone's standing next to you in a congregation and they just start singing in a different language. Well, those are utterances of the Spirit, but they're meant to be between who? The individual and God. Okay? That's how it's supposed to take place. And some people go, wait a second, what about Pentecost? What about, like, like Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit came down and everybody just started speaking languages, just going crazy, it seemed like. Well, what we need to be careful about in Scripture is that there are those things that are descriptive and there are those things that are prescriptive, okay? That is a description of an event that happened, not a prescription for the way it's supposed to happen every time. Does that make sense? And so when we read that passage, yes, this is how the Spirit manifests itself. And what you also see is that there were people residing within Jerusalem of all those different languages who were all called to come and repent before God because they heard the gospel being preached in their own language. The tongues were meant for the edification of those who showed up. It wasn't just some sort of random babbling that happened where no one was edified. 3,000 people came to know Christ. All right, so, so this what's going on there. But remember, that's, that's, descriptive. that's not prescriptive. What we see the prescription in is right here. Where is this idea of an utterance of the Holy Spirit that would take place. But it's also manifested in prayer and in singing. And a couple questions that I think people have. The first one is, what is it? And hopefully we've hit that. But the next one is, is does God give it to everyone? And if you look back at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what you'll see is that Paul's very clear that like, gifts are d- distributed among different people. Not everyone gets the same gift. And he says he does it as he, see fit, as he sees fit. To some, we're given this, some, and that. And so, no, not everyone. But the, the, the final question, which I think is really more pertinent today, is does speaking t- in tongues take place today? Does it exist? And this is the last point I want to make before we move on, really, in the sermon. Um, there's really one passage I want to take a peek at for this. In 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 13, Paul speaks about this. And he says, that speaking in tongues is not so much something that does or doesn't exist. It's something that God has given through his spirit. And so he uses it as he sees fit. And so it doesn't need to take place in every single congregation at every single time but as God would see it fit to edify that community. God's about his body. He's about his church. And so he's going to use these giftings for the edification of that as he sees fit. But in this particular passage in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we read is this in verse 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completion or the perfect one comes, what is in part disappears. And so there's two kind of arguments that come out of this. Like, wait a second, there's a cessationist view which says, speaking in tongues doesn't exist anymore. Look what it says. And they call the perfect one the Bible. We believe the Bible's perfect. Okay, maybe. But then there's the continuous view that says, no, 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 they haven't, they haven't ceased to exist. And at Solid Rock, that's what we believe. We do not believe the, the gifts have ceased to exist. Why? Two reasons right here. The first is that knowledge hasn't ceased to exist. It says that among the things there is knowledge, but what else? Prophecy, right? Knowledge hasn't ceased to exist yet. I hope not, right? <laughs> Hopefully there's some knowledge here, and that's a spiritual gifting. But even more so for me, when you actually move down through verse 12, it says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. And this is the argument of a brotherhood relationship, face to face. And so he's saying the person of Jesus Christ, when he returns, that's when that will cease. Not right now. And so we're not scared of, of, of the gifts here at Solid Rock, but we do want them to be used in order. And so if you look at verse 26 through 40, and we're kind of going to skim this part. I'm mostly just going to hit the high points. Um, basically, Paul is saying there's got to be order in worship. Like if there's not order in worship, it's not edifying to anybody. And so he starts off by saying that here's the deal, guys. Um, when you speak tongues... You need to be careful in the way that you do that. It says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at most three, and in each turn. So in each in turn. So one by one, as other translations would say. And let someone interpret. So what's the requirement? At the most three, in turn, an interpretation. If it's going to be out loud and in public and in the congregation, there has to be interpretation. At the most three. But then he goes on and he says, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. It's pretty simple, right? Like, why are so many churches going crazy on this stuff, right? I don't know. It says, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can prophesy one by one. Right? So that all may learn and all may be encouraged, encouraged, edified, comforted. That's the purpose of prophecy in tongues. And the spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. He's basically saying, hey, there's got to even be evaluation for prophecy. Now, there's a beautiful passage in Acts 17 where it talks about the Bereans. And it says that these people tested everything Paul said, and they were the most noble of all the people. Here's the deal. You guys shouldn't just take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Don't take what I'm saying to the bank. Cash it in. It might just show up as blank check. No, it's not going to. I promise. You know, I, I, I strive to know God's word and to preach it faithfully. So does Jason. But the point is this. Sometimes we don't get it right. We're human. You need to sit and test the prophecy, okay? 
But there's even an order within this. It says, if we move on, it says, uh, verse 33, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. We're going to come back to that. As in all the church of the saints. Now, verse 34, the women should keep silent in the churches. Amen. No, I'm kidding. All right. It's a joke. Take it easy. All right. It says, it says in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. So here's the deal. Jason goes on vacation. <laughs> He's like, here you go, Cam. Woo! You know, I mean, like, <laughs> sweet. I'm not even married. This is going to come off great. Okay, you got to understand context here. It's the only way you're going to get what's going on. Because what we do know is this, is that God has made the world in such a way that marriage is a reflection of our relationship with him and his church. You know, the church is the bride. He's the groom. He's going to come one day. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we learn about there's a certain order within the home of the man who is supposed to be the leader of the household, loving his wife as Christ loved the church, and for the wife to be submitting to her husband as the church to Christ. Well, here's the deal. Like, there's a specific structure that applies to the church. Because we learn from Ephesians 5 that that example he's giving in marriage is really an example to help us understand the church. Okay? And so he's saying in the church here, there's supposed to be order. And what I'm not saying is women. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. No. What he's saying here is that with, in terms of evaluating other prophecy, we need to be careful to be silent and be orderly in the way that we do it. Not just the speaking in tongues, but even the evaluation of those tongues. So just because someone in the crowd goes, I disagree, and then they stand, like, imagine Jason's preaching, and you go, uh-uh, uh-uh. You know, like, like, not cool. I don't care if you're a girl or a guy. Like, I'm taking you out. No, but, but I mean, the thing is, that what he's saying for, for women, he's saying, go home and ask your husbands, do you believe that that's true? Because we're told to not have women in Scripture to teach over men in an instructive way in sort of like a military term that they might follow their authority in that sense, okay? But there is also a command in Scripture that we are to submit to one another. So women do have a voice, a very loud voice. And unfortunately, when it comes to prayer specifically, women are some of the only voices God hears. And that's a powerful voice. And the point is, is that God's saying there's an order for things to be done. It's not that women don't speak. It's that it's supposed to be done in order. Same with men. Men don't just get a stamp and just start going crazy. No. But then also he says that we need to test those prophets. And I'm going to kind of put a period on that particular, um, particular issue of order within the church. So we, we find out there's tongues, there's prophecy, there's order. Hopefully that's helpful for you guys just a little bit as you go through it. You've probably heard a lot of different things about it. You've probably seen it before, and you're like, oh. And just so you know, it's all, we're not scared of it. But we believe things are supposed to be done in order for the glory of God and the edification of his church. Okay? And so for each of us, that really requires us to do something big. And this is going to introduce us back to our text because the problem that Paul's primarily facing here isn't just that these people have their, pro- their priorities out of line. is isn't just because they're pursuing the wrong things. It's because these people are ridiculously prideful. These people have an issue with pride. If you go back through 1 Corinthians, you're going to see over and over again. He's like, get over yourself. And unfortunately, a lot of us are led by our pride. It's why we do what we do. 
And Paul's saying, it's not healthy. It's just not. And so for us, it's not the question of whether or not we do or don't speak in tongues or prophesy, but it's knowing this. Some things are better done at home than at the church. Some things are meant to be private, and other things are meant to be public. Let me tell you a story, okay? So a couple weeks ago, I was at Starbucks. If you know me, shocker. All right, so I was over there drinking some green tea. Well, not yet, because I was in line. And there was this guy and this, and this girl in front of me. And so the girl's going up to order, and she's like, not sure what she wants to order. She's kind of standing up there looking at the thing. And I guess it's her boyfriend behind her or her husband or something like that. And he just takes one hand and starts, you know, just massaging her shoulder, like, you know, just, just like this, you know, open hand massage. And I was just like, oh, that's sweet, you know. It's just, mm. You know, and so then he takes his other hand and he just starts, you know, massaging her shoulders, you know, just a little bit like this. And it's just like, okay, I mean, whatever, you know, that's, that's nice. I mean, just he's being a good guy. And, you know, and, but I kid you not, this bro, he starts coming at, he's like, just doing this. And he starts chopping. And I'm just like, he goes going down. He bent in his knees. I mean, she's in line. I'm sitting there. I'm like, what? You know, like, <laughs> make it stop. You know what I mean? And so I was feeling weird. I didn't even want to drink green tea anymore. I just wanted to eat Tums till I passed out. And so all of a sudden, I, okay, it couldn't get worse, but it did. Because this guy straight up went sideways. It started going this way, too. And I'm just like, oh. Here's the deal. Um private, right? Like, <laughs> don't bring that to church. You know, I mean, like, it's not even cool at Starbucks. And Starbucks all about, you know, be free, whatever. But no, just don't, all right? Like, it's not cool. Like, it's weird. All right, so the point is some things are better done, and they're edifying, but they're better done at home, okay, than in church. And so Paul makes the same argument. And so if we jump back into chapter 14, he uses the example of instruments in verse 7. He says, If even lifeless instruments such as flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Now, distinct notes, actually a more accurate interpretation, is a common melody. It's this idea of other people understanding what's being played so they can play along. It's the difference in Jason standing up here and playing a song, a cover of some song or whatever. They're supposed to be singing. We, we know kind of what it's supposed to sound like. You know, you know imagine it. I'm not going to sing. I was about to. <laughs> no. All right. So, but imagine he just goes off and plays it the way he wants to play it. And we're all sitting and we're like, that's not how. That's not how it's played. Like, what? And no one can sing along. Who's being edified? Jason. Who's not? Everyone else. We can't join in. And this is about the community. This is about edification of one another, right? Imagine if we're sitting in a prayer circle, right? And we're with a person from a foreign country who we're supporting. And we're like, hey, would you be willing to pray over us in your language? Well, it could be edifying for us just to hear their language. I think languages are beautiful. And there's so much wrapped up in languages. But I'm not edified unless someone interprets what he's praying about. And so he's saying, guys... We need to edify one another. That needs to be our pursuit. We need to use intelligible words, words people can understand. Otherwise, he uses this as earlier on in chapter 13, you're going to be like a clanging gong or cymbal if you don't use love. He's saying, now, if you don't use words you can understand, you're kind of the same thing. You're just annoying. 
Don't be annoying. He says, be those who would present a melody to one another. Sing words over each other. Do your words sound like a melody to your spouse? I hope so. Because he's pretty much given two options. You're either a clanging cymbal or a melody. Are they a melody to your boss? Are they a melody to your kids? Are they a melody to your friends? What kind of words are we using? Words matter. Moving on, the second uh, example he gives in verse 8 is, and if the bugle, this is a, this is a horn, okay? Although if you want to say bugle, it's fun. Try it. All right, so, um, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle. What he's saying here now isn't just this idea of a melody, but he's talking about a movement. He's saying that when the word of God is spoken, it needs to be understood because in response to God's word, people move. Things happen. You can't stand still in the presence of the eternal God unless you've passed out, which is a good chance, right? I mean, but here's the deal. It moves you. It moves you. And so he's saying, as we speak words over each other, we need to be speaking words that don't just allow the people to sing along and enjoy, but also move us towards something better. We'll see where that is there in a second. In verse 9, he says, So with yourselves, if your tongue you utter speech that is in not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And he uses this earlier in chapter 9, about boxing in the air. You know, this is, it's pointless. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of breath in this case. And he says in verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner. The translation there is barbarian, by the way. To the speaker and to the speaker a barbarian to me. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel. And what he's saying here is this. I also want people to meet. I don't want people, when they come to a building, to hear random words that make them come, become complacent in their faith and leave church not feeling like doing anything or like they met anyone. He wants us to be a church where we come together and we sing songs together over one another that each and every one of us understand, which then moves us to do something in, in light of what we've heard and what we've sung and as the Spirit would muster up within us and that while we're here, that we wouldn't be foreigners, but we would be one body, connected, and able to communicate. What is the one reason, major reason you hear relationships break up, right? Communication. Communication breakdown. There's a communication breakdown in the church. Is there one here? Are you willing to communicate with other people in the church? I hope so. I challenge you at the end of the service, don't walk out if you don't know anybody. And if you're new here and no one walks out, come say hey to me. I want to hang out with you. But I'm also going to connect you with someone else, and then I'm going to be like, for real, guys, let's do this. Because we have some friendly people at this church. I love Solid Rock for that reason. And if you, if you walk out of here and someone didn't say hey or give you a hug, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, you slid out somehow, all right? And we're going to make it right. But this is supposed to be a meeting. And all of this, though, this idea of the melody, inside the movement and the meeting, all of this is supposed to be for the edification of the church, that it might go forth for a bigger purpose. And I'm going to skip a section here in verse 13 
through 19 in view of time, but basically it says the same thing we just talked about, having a common amen, that we might all be able to enjoy what's being said. But in verse 20 says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And what he's saying here, guys, is this. He's about to transition to a point that to love people you love is pretty easy. To talk to people you like is pretty easy. But what about the people who don't know Jesus? What about the people who are hard to love? It's a lot easier to speak intelligible words. In other words, words I shouldn't say up here on Sunday morning to those people. Most of them have four letters. Are we there? Okay. Here's the deal. We think mean things and want to say bad things to people we don't like because we want to respond in the flesh rather than the spirit when he's saying, here, don't be children. Don't be like kids. And that's kind of what he's, he's, he's mustering up here, right? I mean, that's what he's saying to them. He's saying, don't do that. Don't be like a kid. Be an infant in evil, but be mature in the way you love one another. And be willing to go outside the body. It says, in the law, it is written in verse 21 of chapter 14, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for the believer, but for the unbeliever, while prophecy is a sign not for the unbeliever, but for the believer. I'm going to untangle this in a sec. It gets a little weird. But um, unbeliever, verse 23 If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they, what, will they not say that you are out of your minds? And so what he's saying here is that when you're speaking in tongues and people can't understand what you're saying, this is a scary thing for an unbeliever who walks in. Because tongues are communication between an individual and God, and it's not the proclamation of the gospel of God to men. And so all they see is, that's beyond me, and that's judgment for me. It's a sign of judgment for me. But when we prophesy, something else happens. Because when they walk in and they start seeing it's just going crazy, they might say, they're, they're, they're wild, but this is what happens. It says in verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, what? He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. And in verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Do you guys see the transition that's taking place in this passage? It starts off with the edification of the church, but it ends with the evangelism of the world. That's what it means to move in spiritual maturity. It's when our minds move off of us and my spiritual gift and start looking at the people in the church and saying, how can I now love people with my gift the way God's called me to? And then the third step is moving outside of the church and outside of these walls to the people around us and speaking words to them that allow them now to sing a common melody Allow them to move in the footsteps of Christ, pursuing love and having priorities that God would set in their lives. In closing, I just want to hit a little bit of application on, on this idea of, of, of priority. 
Um, I, I do want to readdress what I said earlier about each of us asking our, our, our spouse or our kid about, what do you think are my priorities? What are my pursuits? What am I about? I think it's good for us to take that into consideration now and not tomorrow, you know? Um, I, I think this is a healthy conversation to have, and it can be healthy, and it's so much better to have it now than when things fall apart and they come to you. But I want you to know that, you know, the kisses of an enemy, the, the, they might be sweet, but it's only the wounds of a friend that are really faithful. And so look for those people in your life who are willing to speak truth into you, like Paul is to these people and say, man, you've got a pride problem right now. And it's jacking up your priorities. And it's jacking up your pursuits. And you're not who God wanted you to be. You're not even edifying to yourself, <laughs> let alone your family and your church and those who don't even know Christ. I mean, you're not even close. But for those of us who are also maybe in a place that, that you're really pursuing, you're striving after God, there's still places where I'm sorry, we need to, we need to sand off some rough edges. Like, one thing I've found is that Jesus came in both grace and truth, and some of us are better speaking truth than grace. <laughs> Jesus was never one or the other. When we speak to one another words of truth and God's words that might be convicting and hard for other people to hear, we need to make sure that the gospel of grace is marinating in that thing, right? But this would be my other question, is, is how is your peace in your life? It says, I said that we were going to go back to this. Um, it says in... First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. He doesn't say order. He says peace. And I think the common understanding of man, James 1, says pretty clearly that we are unstable in all of our ways. I think that's pretty good for man. And for us, my question is, how is your heart? Like, is there peace in your heart right now? Because if there's not, he says that one thing we can do is we can go to the Lord in prayer in Philippians chapter 4. And he will give us the peace that transcends all understanding. And I praise God for our prayer team here at Solid Rock. And they're going to be up here in just a minute. And they're going to be willing to pray for you. And if you have things you need to pray about, if you have things that are going, man, my priorities, my, whatever it is in your heart, just we want to pray for one another. Okay? We want to pray for each other, knowing that prayer brings peace. And maybe you weren't given the gift of speaking in tongues in that prayer language, but guess what? You can still pray. Jesus tore down that wall of separation when he died on the cross, and he said, come to me boldly and pray. Now, if you don't know Christ, you're never going to know that peace. And so I'd ask, if you don't know Christ, to please come and speak to one of us. Find me. Brian's up here. I've seen a couple other guys in the back. Find, find an elder as he can. Um, talk to a prayer partner. We would love to talk to you about that because that is the foundation. But lastly, I want to talk about prophecy. Not all of us have been given the gift of prophecy, okay? But each and every one of us have been put into a place where we can speak very powerful words over people who are under our authority and under our spheres of influence because self-fulfilling prophecy is real. And I want you to think about those people and think about the words we use to one another. They're powerful. They matter. But let it start with us. 
Maybe we can spend some time in prayer in a second. If the prayer, if the, uh, prayer team would come forward and the, the band, we'll go ahead and close out here. Um, but guys, I want to say thank you for being here today. And, and, and I hope this is an encouraging word to you. I hope that for some of you who have kind of been having questions about this prophecy tongues thing, you're not freaked out. I hope, I hope it's something that, that is edifying to you. But I also hope that we're challenged today. Challenged to take our faith from just personal into the church and ultimately into the community. Knowing that even though there's some things that are better done at home than done in the church, everything that happens in the home guess what? It comes to the church. And when a foot hurts, the body hurts. We want to hurt with you, but also to not get so wrapped up in thinking church is about us, right? We need to be able to minister to others. So help us love each other well. Let's pursue that as a body. And let, may our priorities be to love one another in a way that our melody and our movement would be one and in accord for the glory of God, edification of his church, and the evangelism of the world. Um, let me close in prayer.